0: Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon.
1: From 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you have your Bibles or your smartphone, wherever you find your Bible, if you'll pull that out and go to that chapter. And just as a means of review today, we have been talking, look, taking a look at David's life and when he fought Goliath. How many remember that? Great story. And, I, and we equated the giant that he faced to the giant struggles that you and I face i don't have to convince you that we face giants today right financial giants there are people who are living in poverty if you don't believe it drive around the streets of bakersfield there are people you you don't even see that are struggling financially many people live paycheck to paycheck for many people today They have more month left over at the end of the month than they do money. Financial giants. There are physical giants, health issues, some of which many of of you are facing some of those even today. There are self-image giants, feelings of I'm never going to amount to anything or, you know... I've actually had people say to me, not here, but other places, and I know it's prevalent in the church, because well, the devil works this way, well, just, I guess I'd miss God's plan A for my life, so I'm on plan B. God has one plan for you. He knew what you were going to do with your life. He knew the decisions that you were going to make. He has one plan, and that is to bless you and make you a blessing to others. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And there are family giants Many of our families are struggling with division and conflict, some dysfunction. And God has called all of us as we saw last week. And the week before that, I talked to you about how God views us. His perspective of you and his perspective of me is that we are overcomers. Thanks be unto God who causes us to triumph through Christ Jesus. Can you say amen to that? He sees you as an overcomer, as a giant killer. Stepping up when problems arise and allowing God's character to shine not only in you, but through you for his glory. And 1 Samuel lays the story out for us and how the children of Israel were on one side of a mountain and on the other side of the mountain were the Philistines. And for 40 days and 40 nights, the Philistines sent their, their champion, Goliath, into the valley to taunt and try to pick a fight with Israel. He'd say things like, send out your best warrior to fight me. And if he wins, we will be your slave. But if I win, then you all belong to me. That was Goliath. David was just a teenage shepherd boy. He had been sent down with an errand, a care package really from his dad, to check on his brothers who were fighting with the soldiers of the Israelite army. So he goes down and he hears Goliath calling all of his family and all of the soldiers' names. But the thing that really got to him was the fact that, he was, that the Goliath was mocking God. And he sees his brothers and he sees the rest of the soldiers cowering down. And they didn't want to even face this nine-foot giant of a man. No one wanted to fight him. So this teenage boy pipes up and says, I'll take him on. I'll fight him. Long story short, he finally convinces everyone to give him a a shot. And with five smooth stones, a slingshot, but one big God, he goes out and he faces Goliath. And this is what he says to him in verses 45 and 46 of our text, 1 Samuel chapter 17. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And that's exactly what happened. And last Sunday, we started looking at some of the characteristics uh, some of the, the, that make up the DNA of an overcomer, a person that becomes a giant killer. And specifically, you'll, you'll recall, just as a, a means of review, for those of you that were here last last week and those of you who may be here today, it might be new to you, but let me let me just give you a synopsis of what I shared last week. We looked at how giant killers don't begin as giant killers. Remember that? They develop as they learn to be faithful in the day in and day out things of life. That's where it begins. I mean, you you don't wake up one day and say, "I'm going to go out and kill a giant today." That's not the way it works. No. How it works is you develop into being a giant killer as you are faithful to be and do everything that God is asking you to be and do. It has to do with obedience to God. And as you face those little challenges and you overcome them, then God is preparing you for the bigger challenges that inevitably you're going to have to face as you walk this journey of faith. We saw, secondly, how giant killers see the potential reward if they kill their giant. We talked a little bit about that. We saw how giants don't listen to their doubting critics, even though those doubting critics may be some of the closest people to them. Let me just say this to you, friend. For every giant you face, you will have critics telling you why you can't defeat your giant. They'll give you all, all kinds of reasons that it can't be done. And the reason is they've never defeated a giant. But by you defeating your di- giant, as we're going to see in a, little bit, in a few minutes, it's going to bring them to a whole new level. And then we concluded last week by seeing how giant killers are not overwhelmed by their challenges. Giant killers are not overwhelmed with their challenge because they are overwhelmed with their God. Can you say amen? They're overwhelmed with their God. And we talked about the importance of how we need to stop telling God how big our giants are and start telling our giants how big our God is. Amen? Amen. And we we came to the conclusion, we came to the conclusion that if you're going to receive the promises that God has for your life and for your family, here's promised land, here's giant land, here's you. You're going to have to go through those giants in order to receive the promises that God has for you. Well, that prepares us today for four more that I want to give to you quickly. Four more characteristics. If you're really going to live an overcoming life and and defeat your giants, you're going to have to understand that giant killers build upon past successes. They build upon past successes. If you read verses 34 through 37 of our text, you will see how David was basing his confidence on God's protection as a result of successful encounters that he had had in his past with a bear and a lion. You'll recall on two separate occasions, he was just tending to his dad's sheep, and these wild animals attacked the sheep and were going to kill the sheep. And he literally put his life on the line and thwarted the attack of those animals. And the Bible tells us that he killed that lion and that bear. And in this story, we see that David is preparing to fight Goliath. There's candy. Who put all that candy on the floor up here? We need to talk to that guy, get him to clean it up. But he's preparing to fight Goliath. And so what's the first thing he does? He reminds himself and the people of the faithfulness of God. Don't miss this today. And he did that for a reason. You see, he was reflecting on God's faithfulness yesterday to give him courage to face today. Let me put it another way. If you will link your present to your past, it will give you buoyancy to face the future. That is so important so important. All through the Bible, we see this principle. We see how God is always reminding his people to uh, be thankful for what he had done in their lives. And the patriarchs, whenever whenever they would celebrate what God had done for them, whether it was personally or as a nation, they were instructed by God to do two things. Do you remember what they were? Either one was to dig a what? Dig a well Come on, Bible scholars. And the other was to build an an altar. Oh, there you are. To either dig a well or build an altar. Why? So whenever someone came by there, maybe it was your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren or your great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren, 14 generations removed. When they came by, they would see that well, they'd see that altar, and it would remind them that there was something significant that happened there. There was a victory. There was a a breakthrough or something happened. And here's the reason why. Once they saw that, it would remind them if God could do it then, then he can do it now. That's the message. That's the message that I want you to hear today. When you're facing a giant, when you're facing an obstacle that is bigger than you, When you're facing a challenge or a problem that you can't hardly overcome, one of the best things that you can do is to remind yourself of God's faithfulness in the past. And I'm telling you, it will help you to defeat any self-doubt for the future. That's why I told you, my wife and I, one of our theme songs, our testimonials, is the goodness of God. All my life, you have been faithful As I reflect on my life, all my life, you have been so, so good. So with every breath that is within me now and and in the present and into the future, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. You see that? That is an initial step that you can take. If you find yourself stuck, the best place for you to do is link your present with your past and watch what God will do to your future. Number six. Giant killers convince others that they will be successful. Let me me say this. What you believe, and stay with me on this point, because I don't want you to bail out because of some preconceived notion. Okay, hear me to the end. What you believe is more important than anything else when you're going through a tough situation. What you believe is more important than your position, position, it's more important than what you earn or your job. It's more important than what anybody else thinks about you. What you believe. In fact, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 9:29. He said, "According to your faith be it unto you." As I think about David, it's always fascinated me how in the world did this teenager? Have you been around teenagers lately? How did this teenager convince King Saul to let him go out and fight Goliath? How'd that happen? I mean, they had a lot riding on that, didn't they? If they lose, the entire nation becomes enslaved to the Philistines, probably for generations. But David had so much confidence in God that God would help him defeat that giant, that his confidence in God convinced King Saul. I want you to hear that again. I'm going to say it again. David didn't have confidence in himself. He had confidence in God. Now, have you learned that I, I, I've been around a, a lot of people that have a lot of self-confidence and self-confidence is good. But if all you have is self-confidence, it'll cause, cause others to believe in you. But if you have God confidence, it'll cause others To believe in God. Can you say amen? There's a book. Stay with me on this now. Don't judge me, just listen. Joel Osteen has a book that was a bestseller for years. It's called Your Best Life Now. Great book of encouragement. In fact, you need to be encouraged. There are two books that I would recommend to you. Number one, obviously, is the Bible. It doesn't get better than that. Because the Bible is alive. It's the living Word of God. It will speak directly to you, directly through you. It will speak to your circumstances. But if you need some stories to bolster how you engage your faith, this is a great little book to read. But he has one chapter on become what you believe. And he tells the story of a young man by the name of Nick. He's a 20-strapping-something. He's a strong guy, works in the railroad yard. And a great employee... I mean, he's always on time, he can, he's dependable, he, all, the, all the employees love him. The only problem was his attitude. He was chronically negative. I mean, that he was known at the, in the yard as the most pessimistic guy on the job. He perpetually feared the worst and constantly worried. He was sure that something bad, if it wasn't going to happen to him, it was going to happen to the company uh, or that he worked for, the railroad or it was going to happen to some of the friends that were around him. He was sure bad things are going to happen. Well, one summer day, the crews were given the notice that today we're going to give you an hour off because we want you to be able to celebrate your foreman's birthday. So we'll give you an hour and off. You can go home, you can get ready, and then you can go meet down at the at the hall where we're going to have the meeting, the celebration. And all the workers left early. But somehow. Nick accidentally locked himself into, inside a refrigerated boxcar. And uh, that boxcar had just brought, been brought into the yard for maintenance. And the boxcar was empty. It wasn't connected to any other trains. And so when Nick realized that he had been locked in this refrigerated boxcar, he began to panic. And he began beating the doors as hard as he could and screaming to the top of his voice, until his, his voice became a, just, a, just a whisper and his fists became bloody and nobody could hear him because they had already left. Everybody, all the, all the employees had already gone. Aware that he was in a refrigerated boxcar, Nick guessed that the temperature in that boxcar had to be freezing, maybe as low as 10 degrees Fahrenheit. Nick feared the worst. He thought, what in the world am I going to do? If I don't get out of this boxcar, I'm going to freeze to death. There's no way I can live until morning in this refrigerated boxcar. In fact, the more he thought about it and his circumstances, the colder he became. So with the door shut tight, with no way to escape, he sat down to await his death, which was going to be inevitable, he thought, because I'm either going to freeze to death or I'm going to suffocate Whichever one comes first, but he decided, you know, at least I can do something proactive. He said, "I'm going to write. I'm going to write, my thoughts about what I'm going through, and then to my family. So I, I'll I'll have it on me, and when they find my cold body, that at least my family will know that I loved them." So he, shivering almost uncontrollably, started to write, and he he scribbled a message to his family, and in it. He wrote these words. These were his words. Getting so cold. body's numb. If I don't get out soon, these will probably be my last words. And you know, they were. The next morning when the crews came back and they unlocked the, the door on the box car, they found Nick's body crumpled up over in the corner. When the autopsy was complete, it was confirmed that, he, that Nick indeed had frozen to death. But here's the fascinating part about this true story. Listen to this. The investigators found that the refrigeration unit on that boxcar was broken. It wasn't even on the night that he died. The fact of the matter is, Nick died in a room in, in a temperature of about 61 degrees, he froze to death in slightly less than room temperature. Because he believed, without a shadow of a doubt, he had no way out. He believed that he was going to be doomed. There's no way that I can survive this. And he lost, he lost the battle in his mind. Now, why am I telling you that story? is it to say have self confidence or be a positive thinker no i don't i'm not saying that at all i'm saying have god confidence have god confidence When you encounter giants, when you encounter circumstances and challenges that are greater than you, that's the time that you begin to, in Jesus' name, say, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, I don't know when you're going to do it, but I know you're going to turn this thing around, and if you don't bring me out of it, you'll bring me through it, and you're going to get the glory for it. Pray and expect God to do great things. If you're struggling in your marriage, don't expect the thing to fall apart. Don't fear the worst. If you're struggling in your business, don't, ex- you know, and you're not getting the customers, who's the CEO of your corporation? Well, Bob over there. Bob's doing a bad job. No, no, no. If you work there, you've got a new CEO. You work for him, right? And pray and expect God to do something great. Don't, don't expect to fail. Don't expect to barely get by. Because when you do that, you're lowering your expectations of the God that you serve. You serve a great God who the Bible says nothing is impossible with him. So what do I do? Well, what if the bottom falls out? How many of you, no, I don't want to ask that question. Because I know there are people in this room people watching online, who perhaps the bottom of life has fallen out on you. But I want to say to you today, as a child of the Most High God, this is the time to have an attitude that says, God, I know that you're going to bring me through it because your word tells me that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. What am I trying to say? That giant killers convince others that they will be successful because giant killers... Don't focus on their problems; they focus on their God. Oh, good preaching, Pastor John. There's so much we could learn from the life of David. I want to give you two more, and we'll. There's a testimonial. I can't wait for you to hear because I believe it'll inspire you. But I want to give you two more quickly. Number seven: Giant killers face their challenge with a higher purpose. Everybody, say higher purpose. In verses 45 through 47, David saw his challenge as being more than just a battle with a nine-foot-tall man. He knew he had a higher purpose. The Bible says that he ran to the battle because he wanted the world to know the Lord of hosts. He saw Goliath as an, as an enemy without a covenant. And he said something that I don't... Hey. Don't ever say this to anybody when you get mad at him, But he said something to him that at first, when you first think about it, it didn't make a lot of sense. But it does. He said this. He said, You uncircumcised Philistine. How many of you know that probably won't go over if you're talking to somebody in a conversation? But that was a key statement. It was a key statement. And he wasn't talking here about the act of circumcision. In fact... You'll recall circumcision was a sign of a covenant that a person had with God. And God had stated to the people of Israel, he said, I, I, as a sign of our covenant, our relationship, I'm going to one day mark me. I'm going to cut me on a cross in the future. And I want you to mark yourself. And we, that will be our signal and our sign that we are in covenant. So when David said, called this giant an uncircumcised Philistine, he was saying, you don't have a covenant with God. I do. He said, I'm going to remind everybody. I'm in the valley and there are people on the mountains. I'm going to remind everybody that I have something that you don't. Oh, you may be a nine-foot giant, but my God is bigger than you, cupcake. Right? Right? David went into battle to face his giant with a higher purpose. And I want you to listen to what he said in verse 46 again. Listen to it again. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down, and I will cut your head off. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And I can envision God the Father on the throne and he stands up when he sees and hears what David did. And he goes, "Yes." Yes. yes. David sees things from my perspective because my goal is to reveal myself to the nations. Is it any wonder that God would call him a man after his own heart? David saw that defeating Goliath was not just about saving Israel for another day, but it was for the fact that it was going to show the world that there is a God who lives, and we serve that God. He wanted to show the world that our God can do anything. He can take a tiny country like the country of Israel. Israel is no bigger than the state of New Jersey, just a tiny little nation, and he could defeat the Philistines and the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Hittites and the who Amorites and the go fly by nights and the termites and all the otherites. I'm just trying to see if you're awake today. God could, David could do this work for one reason, because God was with him. And that's the story of David and Goliath and what it's really all about. It's about a higher purpose that's involved. And friend, when you begin to understand that you have a higher purpose, that's when you move from being a victim to becoming a victor. You look through the Bible. I wish I had time today. I don't. My time's getting away. But I wish I had time to go from Genesis to Revelation with you and show you all the people who's figured out through divine revelation from God that they had a higher purpose. Such people as Noah. Noah. How in the world could Noah build a cruise liner out in the middle of nowhere, no ocean, no water anywhere, this is pre, uh, pre-flood, and t- be ridiculed? The Bible says it was for decades. How could he do that? He knew that he had a higher purpose. What about Abraham? God tells Abraham, I want you to pack up all your family and your go- goods, and I want you to move. And Abraham says, okay, God, where are we going? God says, I'll tell you when you get there. Right? What caused him to be able to do that? He knew that he had a higher purpose. Joseph had strength to endure a dark prison because he had a higher purpose that came in the form of a dream or a vision. Daniel could lie down in a hungry lion's den because he clung to a higher purpose. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could enter into a fiery furnace and not get burned because they knew they had a higher purpose. Paul the apostle endured torture and shipwreck and all kinds of stuff, slander and and eventually imprisonment and death because he had a higher purpose. And then our greatest example of all, Jesus Endured the cross because he knew what his higher purpose was. He said, I came to seek and save those who are lost. I've come to remind First Assembly today that you and I have a higher purpose as a church and as individuals. You say, what is our purpose? Jesus spoke it to all of us as disciples in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. He said, go. Everybody say, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When you begin to understand that everything you do, every single thing that you're involved in, the the jobs that you take in your lifetime, every problem that you face should have as its ultimate purpose to help carry out the great commission of making Christ known to every tribe, every language group, every nation on this planet. When that happens, my friend, that's when you become a giant killer. Are you still with me? You got time for one more? Let me wrap this up by giving you my last observation, then I'm going to share with you a testimony. Giant killers take those around them to a higher level. Think about it, to a higher level. When you face a giant, when you face a problem or a challenge, you're not just there to win that victory for you. One of our biggest problems as Christians, we get our eyes off of Jesus and think it's all about us. Oh, I got to get through this somehow. I just got to hold on. I got to get through it. And The Lord says, wait a minute. Whose battle is this? Yours or is the Battle of the Lords? It's the Lord's. And so what we do is we, we, get, all, we get all self-centered and we're, we pull within ourselves and we forget that we have a sphere of influence, so that every time I win a battle, every time I defeat my giant, I'm taking people to a new level of faith with me. David. For 40 days and 40 nights. It's, this is illustrated. This principle is so well illustrated with this story. For 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath went out there and he taunted everybody. He tried to pick a fight with everybody. And nobody would even come out and fight him. Except David. One shot with his sling. And that giant came tumbling down. And here's the point that I want you to hear. In Saul's army, before David went out that day, follow this. Before David went out that day, he, there were no giant killers in the entire army. None. But when David went out and said, I come to you in the name of the Lord, and he killed Goliath that day, The whole army became giant killers. And the Bible says they started chasing after their enemy because they had the confidence that God had given their enemy into their hand. Hallelujah. But it all started with David. He took, he paved the way. And I guess I'm here to remind you today that there are people in your sphere of influence. Grandparents, it's your kids, it's your grandkids. It's the kids that are in the home. It's your neighbors. It's the people at work who they're watching you. And what you do with the giant that's before you, they are paying attention. But if you will stand up and you will run to the battle instead of running away from the battle, I'm telling you, you'll take everybody in your sphere of influence to a whole new level. Hallelujah. Giant killers consider the cause Giant killers count the cost, and giant killers chart their course. And as they go, they take everyone to a whole new level. Two questions I ask you today What are the giants in your life? When are you going to start fighting them? For the right reason? Could it be that we're not defeating our giants because we're fighting for the wrong reasons? We've become selfish. I don't know. You'll have to weigh that before the Lord. I have to weigh that before the Lord. And then the second thing that I want to ask you is what initial step will you take to defeat your giant? Because when you take that step, maybe it's just doing like I said earlier, of rehearsing all the goodness of God in your life. Maybe that's where you start. when you take that step, other people will follow and be lifted to a higher level. There is a couple that were on my staff when Leanne and I I pastored in two places, in Seattle, Washington, and later he would become my executive pastor in Covina. His name is Craig and and his wife's name is Sam Johnson, no relation. And um, now his journey of faith would take him to becoming one of the executive pastors. They call them associates there. There are only four associates, but they're executive pastors at Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. I want you to watch how Craig and Sam faced probably the, one of the biggest, well, it was the biggest battle of their life that rocked their world when they got the diagnosis that their son was autistic. I want you to see how God helped them to defeat the giant. Not like they thought. But God's plan, remember this, God's plan would help them touch the world. I want you to watch this, please.
0: Connor, his first year and a half, he was on task with every milestone, his developmental phase, everything was right on on track, right on task, and there were no issues whatsoever.
2: He was just really, as he grew up in his early years, really like our other two kids, you know, he would talk to us, and. Uh, He would interact with us, show a lot of emotion, play with other friends. At two years of age, everything changed. The only thing I could really explain was almost like a bad car wreck. Where one day your child's one way and another day he's another way. Where he would um, uh, give us a hug and a kiss and show a lot of emotion. Uh, Now he stopped altogether and stopped showing any emotion whatsoever.
0: When they said autism, I actually had to look it up. You know. Googled it to even find out what it meant. I think for me, receiving the diagnosis when he was so young, it was just like, okay, we've got a lot of time to figure this out, to to fix this.
2: I remember during that time, uh, the enemy just came in like a flood. You know, uh, as I was driving home, he would say, Craig, your child's not gonna be like your other kids. He would say, you're gonna deal with this your whole life. He'll never accomplish anything, you know? As the enemy was speaking these things, I remember all the messages that our pastor would speak, and I started to speak those out as I was driving home. I remember driving up the driveway and I ran up to my son's room and I picked him up. I said, you're not a victim, you're a victor. I said, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We literally became prisoners of hope during that time. And the cool thing about Pastor Joel is he lives this life of hope. And so we were listening to everything (laughs) that he had and it was more like hooking up a fire hose. And And we were just, it was just a gush of hope every week. And for families like mine, that's what we're looking for.
0: One time that I was in the store with him by myself and we had got to the aisle where you go to check out and there's all the candy and the gum and all the trinkets and he had just got an armful and was wanting all of it. And so I had told him, no, you know, you're gonna have to put it back. So as I'm putting it back, he's taking it off and it just, it became a physical, you know, Battle to get through the aisle to get my groceries, and I got to the car and just physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted. And I just remember calling my husband and I just said, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I've tried.
2: Probably one of the lowest moments, you know, my life. As I was driving, I had one of the most intimate conversations I ever had with God. I just asked God why. Uh, not why we had had our son because we loved him very much, but why is he struggling so much? And I'll never forget what God spoke to me. He just said this. He said, Craig, your child is not burden. Your child's a gift. You're looking at everything that's wrong with him. You're not looking at everything that's right. God to use your son to reach thousands of people. And at the time, I, I couldn't see it. I said, God, my son can't even ask for a drink of water. How's he going to reach millions of people? And then God spoke to me four words. And, you know, I always say these are the four words that God will speak to you whenever you feel like there's no hope. And he just said, do you trust me? I said, God, you're all we've got, but I trust you. And I thought things were gonna get better and things actually got worse. (laughs) You know, the meltdowns got worse, the struggles got worse. And Connor was at this time about five years old. and, And we had dealt with this for three years of him not speaking. And uh, But all of a sudden, one night, uh, my wife came calling from upstairs. She said, Craig, Craig, get up here. Get up here. You're not going to believe it. you got to come listen to this. kind of was like mumbling. I
0: was like, what would you say? And then it kind of got clearer and clearer. And so I went over to his bed, and I'm like, tell me, you know, say it again. And it was the entire, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do as I can do. Tonight I will talk to God before we can fist. My
1: life is the My heart is accepted. I will never be the same. I will bow to the I will bow to the of the word of God. I will never be the same.
2: Never, never, never. I will never. never be the same. same. In Jesus' name. Amen. We didn't know how it happened, but we found out that, you know, we were bringing home these messages of hope on DVD. Little did we know Connor was taking the DVDs up to his room and he would put them in his DVD player and while he played, he would listen to every message over and over again. It didn't matter if the message changed, that declaration was at the very front of it and it became the first words they spoke and we knew it was a miracle of God because he could have learned anything. He could have learned a Disney movie, anything. But it
0: was from there that he did, the speech did come and the language did come and I think that just gave us that confidence of okay, he, he can do more than, than we know.
2: And when pastor spoke about the miracle, that, that video went viral. Um, and, and people began to send us messages from all of the world saying how our son and his miracle had touched their lives. And right away, the, the, the prophecy was true, you know, that millions of people were, were hearing uh, Connor's testimony. But one day I was walking through Lakewood Church and I was walking by the kids' area, and uh, God just stopped me again. It was a second intimate conversation. He said, Craig, look at what you're doing for typical kids. He said, it looks like Disneyland. He said, but look at what you're doing for special needs kids. And at the time, we weren't doing very much. And he said, Craig, those kids are the very best, just like every other child. So I didn't really know what to do. We were still walking through it as, as parents, but I knew how to pull together a task force. So we pulled together some of the top doctors and researchers to be on this task force, some of the top educators around special needs, and the most important special needs parents and some of our staff, and for an entire year, we worked on what would become the Champions Club. And the Champions Club is a holistic approach, mind, body, soul, and spirit, so that's why there's four stations. And the kids rotate in between these stations and they're developed just like every other child. When we were launched at Lakewood, we had no idea the impact. But over 300 families started coming to Lakewood in the first six months and from there it just began to grow and grow and God continued to use my son and now there are 87 champions clubs around the world one on every continent and families all over the world being developed and helped and they're able to come to church for the first time they're able to be a part of a community for the first time and when I look back I'm so glad that we never gave up. I'm so glad that we kept on listening to those messages of hope. I'm so glad because I'm watching God use a very difficult situation, and he's using it to change the world.
1: They heard God say, Will you trust me? Will you quit looking at the bad in what you're going through and look, at, look for the good? Say, what's good about what I'm going through? Romans 8, 28. And we know, we know beyond knowing, we have confidence that God is at work in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Would you bow your heads with me? Today you're here, and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Listen, God wants to help you overcome your giants, but first he wants to have a covenant with you. You say, how do I make a covenant with God? You invite him to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins. You confess him as your Lord and Savior and say, Lord, from this day forward, if you'll help me, I will serve you all the days of my life. And you're here today and you say, you know what? I'm not sure I've done that. But today, I want to make sure. I'm not going to invite you to the front today. I'm going to pray for you right here from this platform. But you'd say, John, remember me in prayer today. I want to receive Christ. If that's you, whether you're in the balcony or here on the main floor, you'd say, I want Jesus in my life. I want to know him intimately. Like you've been talking to us about these last three weeks. If that's you, raise your hand quickly. Yes. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Others? Others while we wait. Yes, up there. Young people. Yes, God bless you, sir. Many hands. Listen, you can put your hands down. We're, this is going to be the best day of the rest of your life because you're inviting Christ in. Could we as a congregation pray this prayer together? And I'm going to ask you to pray it out loud, every one of us. And we're going to invite Jesus into our heart. Just, say, just pray with them, would you, friends? Dear Heavenly Father. We come to you today, not understanding everything. But what I do understand is I need Jesus today. Jesus Christ, would you come into my heart? Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on a cross for my sins and rose from the grave. And today I receive your free gift of salvation. And I thank you that I am your child. And from this day forward, if you will help me, I will serve you every day of my life. In Jesus' name. Now let's join the angels in heaven and let's congratulate all these guys. Listen, you prayed that prayer. You prayed that prayer and you meant it. It's important you tell someone. And we'd love, I'd love to hear that testimony. Tell someone, today I received Christ. And we'll help you. That's the first step. You need to get plugged into a good church, a church like this one, and you can learn more about this new faith that you've received. And then as we go today, I'm going to pray one more prayer, a prayer of blessing on all of you. But I also want to pray for those of you that you're tired of running away from the, the battle and you need God's help so that you can run to the battle. You need God's help to be reminded that He is the God that handles the battles for you. And if you want prayer, just lift your hand as I pray today. Just lift it up. Heavenly Father, as we close this service today, what a powerful day this has been. We thank you that you are in this place. We thank you that you still speak to us. You love us so much, oh God. You want to bless us in every way, but you bless us for a reason. It's to be a blessing to others. And so I pray for my friends today as they go out of this place. May all week long they reflect on the goodness of God in their past and all the things that you have done for them. And may they link it to their present. And then God, may you bolster that in their life to help them as they face the future. May they know that greater is He that's in them than he that's in the world. Be with us as we go. In your grace, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Greet one another as you go. These altars are open if you would like prayer. Thank you.
2: This is, God. This is, who he is He us. the cross.
0: been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.